still wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. When you wait, you experience the shifting of the load from your shoulders to the shoulders that were meant to bear the load. However, waiting is not the most popular um, exercise for any of us. Who wants to wait? How many of you like to sit in traffic on Central or get in one of those long lines, you know, that uh, waiting to be checked out somewhere? Who wants to wait? Wait. Waiting is not our most favorite thing to do. There are those um, who have waited on God in biblical history. I want to mention some of them if you want to jot them down in your outline. There is Noah. Noah was told by God to keep the faith and to build an ark and rain would come. When he told him that, rain had never there never been rain. <laughs> Wasn't any such thing. And here's this man building a boat for something that had never happened, and he waited a hundred and twenty years for something that had never occurred before. What a phenomenal thing to say. That a man would wait on God for a hundred and twenty years, had no history of anything to count on. All he had was God's word to wait, and he waited. And there is Job waiting for some kind of relief. He's lost everything, his family, everything he prized, and he's covered with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he's sitting on this, the rubbish heap of his loss, waiting for relief. His impatient wife has told him, why don't you just curse God and die? And his friends come with all the explanations that friends have. But he waited on God until God spoke, until God relieved him. There is Joseph. For a decade and a half, he sat in prison, unjustly imprisoned. When he was released, he was imprisoned immediately again and spent 14 more years in prison, waiting for God to deliver him. And there is Moses, who spent, at the age of 40, at the prime of his life, was banished to the backside of the desert, and he spent 40 years back in the backside of the desert, waiting on God. Josephus said that he was the greatest military leader in his time, the brightest star in Egypt, and the most educated man of his day, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, banished to the backside of a desert, tending sheep for 40 years, waiting on God. And there is Samuel and Gideon, the name, the list goes on and on. 
And there are these prophets who dream dreams they never saw fulfilled and prophesied prophecies they never saw completed and yet they waited on God. And Jesus waited. At the age of 12, he was smarter than the scholars in the temple. He must have been urging, he must have had this urge to begin, this itch to get started. And he must have had some pressure to do so, but he waited on God's word. At the age of 30, he got the call from God, and for the first time, he moved and he emerged from obscurity to become an itinerant preacher for three years, waiting on God for everything. He said, I don't do anything except what I see my father do, and I won't say anything except what I hear my father say. And he told his disciples to wait on the church, and he told the church to wait on the Holy Spirit. And there's the Apostle Paul converted on the road to Damascus with a message that is phenomenal to preach, And what happened to him? He spent years in Arabia, totally disappeared for a while, waiting on God and God's Word. Waiting is not the most popular thing, but the people that God has used in in the history of the world are people who have learned to wait on Him. Now, I think there's some initial observations that I want to make before we get into the text. One is this, that waiting is the rule rather than the exception. Waiting is the rule rather than the exception. The exception, the exceptions are the open doors. Waiting is the rule. As a matter of fact, Most of your life, if you do it God's way, will be spent waiting on Him. I listened to uh, uh, one of the sports announcers interview uh, Kevin Kennedy, who is the, uh, unfortunately, the manager of the Texas Rangers. That's a joke, yeah. (laughs) Mired in a losing streak. And this sports announcer asked him, he said, how many players on the team have uh, like a green light? What he meant was, how many players do you have when they get on base can steal a base without you giving a signal or steal a base? Just, you know, go on their own, so to speak. You baseball fans, you're getting into it, I can tell. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm not going to tell you, know, I'm not going to say that because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want just to go, come out and say who on our team has the green light, you know. He said, but I can say it's just only one or two. He said, even those, he said, I don't, they don't, if I decide I don't want them to steal, I give the signal not to steal. What he was saying was that most of the players on the team have the red light rather than the green one. You ever felt like that? The exception to the rule is that you can, you know, that you, you can move, you can go. The rule is that you wait on God. Second, waiting on God is resting Instead of worrying, you ever tried to, to fake, you ever tried to fake waiting? You can't do it. Because you can put on a plastic face and a smile and, and pretend that everything is fine, but on the inside you're churning. And the author of the book of Proverbs says that like the reflection in the water, so our faces reflect what's on the inside of us. You can't fake 
waiting. You, if you worry, it shows in your face. Now, waiting is resting and not worrying. And I suppose that in Psalm 62, that we have the greatest, most helpful outline for waiting that you can find anywhere in in Scripture. I don't know of a better one. Look at how it starts out. He says, my soul waits in silence for God only. Now, that that, um, arrangement in the Hebrew is almost untranslatable, really. If you translated the Hebrew literally, it would be like this. Only God in silence my soul waits. Only God in silence my soul waits. And the reason why it's that way in the Hebrew is several reasons. One is, is it has God in the primary position. That is to say that the key to this waiting is to get God in focus. And God is in the primary position. And whatever else you can say, you have to have God in the primary position. The word silence there is a word that comes from the verb to whisper. And what he's saying literally is this. I am waiting for God's whisper and for his whisper only. And the implication is, is that you've got to, get, you've got to get still and you've got to get quiet because God doesn't shout his instructions, he whispers them. And when a person gets God in the primary position, God in the center of his life, and he's willing to get still and quiet to listen to God, God speaks in a whisper. Tells us what to do, all right? What do we do? Number one. We wait for God to direct our steps. We wait for God to direct our steps. You don't run ahead. You can't run and wait at the same time. And the basic principle is this. If you have any doubts, don't. Because a person who gets God in the primary position and he gets still... And, and he focuses on the whisper of God. God will direct his steps. Now, um, many of you have uh, done Experiencing God. If you haven't done that book, you need to get that. It's a life changer. Um, I, I know several people, uh, people in my own family, as a matter of fact, who have said that doing the book Experiencing God literally change their life. Um, If you want something that will um, transform the way you live as a Christian, you need to get that book, okay? How many of you have gone through the book, Experiencing God? Many of you have. We need to do that again. You haven't uh, gotten into the Christian, into understanding Christian life till you do Experiencing God. I really believe that. Now, my friend Henry Blackaby wrote that book, says... Quote, God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit to reveal something about himself, his purposes, and his ways. He speaks to us by the Holy Spirit to reveal something about himself, his purposes, and his ways. He he reveals his purposes so I will do his work, and he reveals his ways so I can accomplish his purposes. 
Now the question is, how does God speak to us? I've had folks literally say to me, literally, I have never heard, you talk about people talking about hearing from God, I've never heard God, I've never heard from Him. Well, it's a pretty sad thing to have to say that. How does God speak to us? Number one, He speaks to us through the Bible. Now when you read the Word of God, the Spirit of Truth takes the Word of God and reveals Himself through it. Now let me give you an example, something that happened to me just recently. Uh, I'm I'm no uh, expert or whatever, but occasionally I have something out of my own experience I need to share, and, and and, and that's true tonight. I was doing my quiet time. Let me give you an example of how He speaks through His Word. I want you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, 14th chapter of the book of Luke, and I want to read verses 31 through 33. I want to give you an example of how God speaks through His Word. Now, it's not like you open the Bible, put your finger on something, and, and say, well, now God needs to speak to me through that, but it's like reading through the Scripture, and God speaks, you know, through His Word to you, all right? Verses 31 through 33. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. Now that little phrase, terms of peace, um, just leaped out one day, you know, the day I was doing this part in quiet time, the terms of peace, because who is there who does not long for that peace? What are the terms of peace? Next verse. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And while I was reading that, God spoke through his word to say this to me. Tidwell, the terms of peace are these. Give me all of your possessions. Now, how do you, how do you have peace with regard to, 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 to your children, parents? Give them to the Lord. That's how you have peace with regard to your children. How do you have peace with regard to your business? You give it to the Lord. That's how you have peace. Scott Crane testified of that. How do you have peace with regard to relationship? How do you have peace with regard to your own physical well-being? You just turn that over to God. For the terms of peace are these. The term of peace is this. You give him these things about which you worry. That's how God spoke to me through his word. Sometimes he speaks to us through prayer. Now prayer is a relationship, but not a religious activity. Prayer is a relationship and not a religious activity. That's why Jesus tells us, ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. And knock and keep on knocking, and it shall be opened unto you. And there is this persistence in the verb. 
Now, he's not telling us that to say that if you keep on, you know, just keep on doing it, you'll finally wear God down and, and talk him into doing something for you. It's not that at all. What he's saying is, is that for prayer to really be prayer, there has to be this consistency in the action of it. That's what Calvin Miller meant when he said, this inner, this uh, Table of inwardness, this table of communion with the inner God is not a fast food machine. What he was saying is this, that you can gulp down your food, your sandwich, on your way to the next appointment, but you can't, it takes time to develop intimacy. And so as you develop a relationship with God through prayer, he begins to speak to you through prayer. But not just if you don't, you know, if there's no consistent development of a relationship through prayer. Sometimes he speaks to us through circumstances. And so we ask God to give us his perspective on on the circumstances of our life. For it was through the circumstances of his life that God revealed to Jesus what he was to do. And sometimes he speaks to us through the church, through the counsel of others. I can depend on others in the church to help me understand God's will. So here's the point I'm trying to make, is that you wait on God until he guides your steps, and these are the resources that help you understand how he's guiding your steps. The Bible prayer, circumstances, and others. All right, number two. How are we to wait? The scripture says that we are to wait silently and in stillness. Some of the most meaningful times you'll experience or have in prayer are the times when you say very little, very few words when you just meditate you know um, one thing the Catholics have on us they know how to meditate you know a few years ago I got real uh, interested in the in the technique the art of meditation and I uh, tried to find out who of all the people have the best skills at meditation found out it was Madame Guyon a 15th century Roman Catholic nun, um, a a French lady, a a lady from France, and so her works have been translated. I've got all of them. Some of you have read them. I've shared them with you. And the whole idea of this dear saintly lady was is that, that prayer is not that much talking to God. It's just feeling around the edge of God's heart in silence and in meditation. It's kind of like love. The deeper the love, the less you have to say. I remember, you remember the first time you, you dated? There was a time, believe it or not, when I was extremely shy. But I, you know, I knew that girls and boys go together. So I, uh, I kind of got attracted to this girl, and I decided I would, uh, you know, ask her out for whatever you ask, you know, in Monday, Texas, maybe to the matinee or whatever. Now, my problem was, what do you say? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, you're going to be with her three or four hours, and, and what, what do you talk about, you know? 
the cotton crop, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she's going to be too interested in that. And uh, so I asked my, one of my buddies, I said, you know, he's pretty, he was a veteran. He'd been out a couple of times. <laughs> pretty, pretty, you know, suave. And I said, uh, you know, what, what, do you, what do you talk about? He said, well, you know, you'll think of something. Well, I did the first five minutes. <laughs> but the rest of the time, it was pure agony. <laughs> and uh, it was like, okay. You know, <laughs> she was looking at me thinking, what, is he, what am I supposed to say? And I'm looking at her thinking, what am I supposed to say? Um, I have found out, you know, I did find out when I fell in love with Margaret, of course, that, you know, you don't have to say a whole lot. I mean, the deeper the love, the less you have to say. And this kind of relationship that's developed in prayer, should be developed in prayer, is a relationship that is not necessarily built on some kind of technique about what you're going to say when you go in, in your closet. You know what I'm saying? Um, you wait in silence. Second, you wait, he said, in stability and confidence, for he says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He only is. Now, I want to show you something interesting. Uh, just right quickly, we got a little time. So once you turn back to Isaiah chapter 40, and the verse is a verse that we all have quoted and memorized, 31, look at it. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings, they'll run and not get tired, walk and not become weary. The interesting thing about that is the word wait, it's the Hebrew word uh, kawah, and it means to stretch or to twist around, believe it or not. And it's the idea of taking something and twisting it around something else. And the implication is, is that if I take the little thread of my faith and twist it around the strength of his character, my little thread becomes as strong as his character. So I wait in stability and confidence, not because I feel like that I've got enough faith, not that at all, in fact, as Madame Guyon says, don't worry about the fact that you take back what you bring to him. Because the, 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 the issue, the essence, the, the, the heart of the matter is not if you're doing it right, that's not the issue. The issue is not, do I have enough faith? The issue is, does he have enough strength? I mean, what about his character? And so I bring this little thread of my faith and I... Twist it around his character. And what I get is strength and confidence. Now why do you do that? Three reasons. Watch this. Because he only is the deliverer, the rock, the refuge, the salvation. He only is. Now I don't know what else, how else to say that except to say it this way. If he's not going to help you, there's no help. And if he is not 
going to be your salvation. There is none. One of the things that we come to immediately when we come to the place of salvation faith, faith for salvation is, is that he's the only way that to be saved. And, and if he can't save us, there is no way, okay? So that we come to the same kind of, of understanding about tomorrow's troubles and tomorrow's problems, that he only is the solution, and if he can't do it, then there's no one that can. Second, waiting on God as the stability and security in silence is the only way in the world that we'll ever discover how faithful God is. The only way that we'll ever discover how faithful God is is to be put in a position where if He doesn't come through, we fall flat on our face. That's why Blackaby talks about these God-sized decisions. Is that sometime or another, you and I need to exercise this kind of confidence that I'm going to make a decision just to see how faithful God is on the basis of His direction and leadership. I'm going to take this leap. I'm going to take this step. If He doesn't come through, I'm totally ruined. It's the only way you'll ever see how faithful God is. Three, it's the only way to discover how faithful you are. Now, it's not that difficult to be faithful to God when there's a lot of activity going on. When we can, when we can be active, when we can, get, we, we can get things done, when we can solve problems, when we're in the move, it's not that difficult to be faithful to God. Let me tell you when it's difficult to be faithful. It's when God is doing nothing and you're having to wait on Him. Um, we like, we, we'll wait a couple of days, but then if nothing happens, we, we want something else. You know what I'm saying? Here's the application, then we're out of here. Waiting involves trusting. Waiting includes praying, and waiting implies resting. Let's pray together. Father, now we, we wait for your direction, your guidance. Some of us, Father, We've heard you speak. We've seen your hand. We've known your will for weeks. We've just not been obedient. And we know there's a time to do and a time to wait. For some of us, it's time to do. For others of us, it's just a time to trust you and to rest upon you, to lean upon you. For those of us who should obey tonight, we pray for courage to do that. For those of us who need to wait, grant us the courage to do that. For I pray in Jesus, your Son's name, for His sake.
spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand and as our invitation begins, invite you to come.